1: and God knows how much longer this channel is going to be up because Big Tech is doing a big communist purge. So go to BitChute, Rumble, Parler, Gab, follow me, follow Dale, follow everyone because these 30 communists are trying to take over. And uh, rumor is is that they are giving strikes for anything talking about January 6th. And um, I'm going to draw my line in the sand right from the get-go. I'm not going to take anything down, um, so I'll probably be banned but my logic is, is 14 days to flatten the curve and look where we are now. It's never going to stop. So, yeah. So if my channel goes away, go to Bit Shooter Rumble or Gab or Parlor, And, uh, yeah. But Dale Comstock, back in the fucking saddle. Dr. Delta Force Dale Comstock, Ph.D. Black belt of the sixth degree. Do-da, do do-da. do-da. We're talking about his book, American Badass, which will be linked in the description and sticky to the top comment. We did chapter one last week, and now we are on chapter two. This whole podcast series is just American, the American Badass Chronicles, Volume One. This is Volume Two, and enough of my dumbass talking. Dale, take it away.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on, man, and for everybody listening out there. uh We've done chapter one before. Um, actually, chapter one was a couple of chapters out of the book um this one we'll call it chapter two but it's actually starts at around chapter five in the book so i'm I'm packing a lot of stuff in there and i'm not reading the chapters Um, i'm just going to tell the story so um a couple things yeah Uh, you know we're living in some crazy times and uh you know tom's right you know we're there's a um there's a movement away for me, especially, and I know Tom to get away from some of these uh, the liberal platforms like uh, Facebook and and uh, YouTube. Uh, you'll you'll find me on parlor now, and I'm on Rumble, and uh, I'm just trying to migrate from all the the, the, the craziness. And hopefully, uh, you know, those don't get shut down either. But um, anyways, I got a story to tell, and if my book's called American Badass, and I won't go into my background or how did I come up with the name. Um, things like that you can hear all that in the, in the first uh, the first episode that we did in chapter one but essentially um, the book that I'm going to be talking about today the chapters within the book is called American Badass and the, the the titles were misleading. In fact, not only is the title misleading, the, the front covers, the misleading, right. It's got American flag. It's got me there with no shirt on big chain around my neck. You know, I'm all, I'm all yoked and stuff with no shirt on. Um, it says American badass, you know, and probably first glance, most people will walk by and go, what is that about? Like a prisoner, you know, you got a penitentiary, yeah, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's not right. And, uh, I'm hoping that the girls check it out. Oh, look, at naked guy. and didn't pick it up. But no, um, it's American Badass is really about being um, what I call, you know, laughingly a good ass. Right. Being a good guy, good patriot, uh, good father, uh, good citizen, trying to do all the right things. Right. That's American Badass. And uh, it's not about how tough you are. Uh, how many people you can you know you can beat up or kill or things like that, right? It's it's that doesn't make you a badass, right? That just makes you a dumbass. Um, my my mind a badass is a person that uh, tries to exemplify the right thing. You know what is the right thing? I know that's all relative, especially today. <laughs> you know what we thought was right is now wrong, yeah. what is wrong is now right. It's like yeah. ooh, everything's upside down, right? Yeah. So you you figured out for yourself what you know what that means. But uh, I'm just going to share with you some of my my history, some of my stories. Um, I use my stories to motivate and inspire people to uh, be better versions of themselves. So, today what I want to talk about is called Babies and Bullies and the Patriarchs. And uh, what is Babies and Bullies? Basically, it's my my story growing up. So, you get a little bit of background information on uh, how did I get to where I am today, 57 years later. And it's even amazing that I got this far at 57 years. I should have been dead like a long time ago. Um, but uh, I'm like a i was talking to uh um, arlene tour she's an actress and a good friend of mine years ago and uh i was telling her about something that happened to me that almost i was almost killed and a couple things and she's like oh my god you're like a you're like a cat with nine lives and i was like no i'm like a litter of kittens you know because you know (laughs) seriously yeah (laughs) you know uh i've been just so lucky and i'm thinking you know somebody's is saving me for something down the road you know and uh because if you listen to chapter one, you'll hear the story in there about uh, again how I, uh, you know, again, you know, dodged, you know, dodged faith, you know, on a, on a, unfortunately on a, on a, on a TV set. But uh, here I am. So I was born in 1963. I did. How I am 57 years old. Come up on uh, 58, but I sure as heck don't feel like it. I don't think I look like it. In fact, most people think I'm about 40, um, and uh, I don't feel it. You know. I don't have any you know i've had a lot of injuries but uh, i don't have the aches and pains to go with it or anything I'm, i feel like you know a 25 year old kid i really yeah. do I, i'm in great shape i feel good um you know i don't wake up in the morning and go, oh my back oh yeah. my knee none of that stuff's happening to me right and so and there's a reason for all that now i'll talk about that later as well um i was born in 1963 i was born in fort lewis washington my father was in the army for 20 years he was stationed up there, and uh, I was born in Madigan uh, Hospital up there, Army Hospital. And uh, my mother's German. My father met my mom in Germany um, when he went over there on his first tour. And, uh, you know, he was 20, I believe, at the time. He met my mom. She was 17. And then uh, right after that, I showed up. So um, I spent most of my childhood and teenage years growing up in Germany. And in large part, I was raised by my family, my German family over there as well. Um So, having said all that, uh, you know, growing up, you know, was, you know, growing up in the military culture was uh, very unique and, uh, you know, a very good experience, actually. Um, All I knew growing up as a baby onward till the age of, you know, almost 18 was military life. I lived on military, you know, uh, facilities, quarters. Um, I went to school with other military kids. I, I hung around other military kids and uh and we all kind of had the same uh, the same way of thinking, the same types of disciplines that uh, was you know basically um, you know pass, you know basically you know that we learned from our fathers mm-hmm. and our mothers, you know and uh, so and then I remember when I got out, my dad retired of the army, uh, He actually retired from Fort Huachuca, Arizona. And he got a job up in San Francisco in the Bay Area um, at a company called, I think it was called Ranchon Systems. My father was a communicator, right, and uh, worked with communications and radios. And we moved up there. And I got to tell you, it was a culture shock for me living in the in the Bay Area. You know, at, at the age of fifteen, I was like, "Whoa!" You know, um, this was so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable. Um, it's very hard to explain, but I, I didn't have any friends. I was i was almost like a recluse i had a hard time making friends i just felt so out of my element you know and uh it was the strangest thing because i would go to school didn't talk to nobody nobody talked to me didn't after school I didn't hang out with i had nobody to hang out with it just me going home and going to my my bedroom lifting weights you know and and uh it was really surreal man i mean i remember walking the streets by myself at night had nobody to hang out with um and uh, I just felt like something, you know, my life is missing, man. The, the what, you know, what, what I was used to, I yearned for it. And then, uh, and then we finally moved to Sacramento, California. Uh, my dad started his own insurance business, you know, out of the garage in our in our house, you know, that we bought, and uh, he did very well, man. It was very successful. I learned a lot from my father, which I'll talk about in the next chapter of the patriarchs. Uh, but anyways, um, so that came. it came a point where. Um, You know, I realized I got to, you know, when I get out of high school, what am I going to do? You know, I didn't want to go to college. My dad wanted me to go to college. Nobody in my family on either side had ever been to college. In fact, my dad had 11th grade education. My mom had a 9th grade education. And it was my dad's wish to see his son be the first college graduate, you know, Mm -hmm. out of both sides of family. And uh, as much as I would have liked to, you know, um, accommodate that, you know, I got to tell you, man, that calling for the military was stronger than anything else. And uh, I just felt like there's no way I'm ready to go to college, man, yeah. and be around more of these freaking knuckleheads, right? It just didn't add up. And so I, I, I actually secretly ran down a recruiter's office when I was 17, didn't tell my dad, and signed up for the Army, right? And then I finally had to tell him, and it just broke his heart. And I realized I've, I made a mistake to some degree, um, but I told him I would make it up to him. And that i would no matter what i would get that college degree you know Mm -hmm. and uh you know and i actually did in the military i got my bachelor's and my master's degree on the side burn that midnight oil um and then uh you know i got my doctorate later on um so anyways a little bit about my childhood man what kind of you know when i look at the kids today (laughs) <laughs> there, you know, I'm not saying all kids, right? So there's some good kids out there, right? Good teenagers. It just depends on the homes they come from. But I gotta say, man, what I've seen generally, the, the kids of today are not like the kids of yesterday. You know, mm-hmm. at least not in my time growing up. Um, growing up in Germany, you know, we were we lived in a close knit, you know, military community. Um, and I remember, you know, I, what I remember the most growing up was, you know all the friends that we had, you know, and we knew we were only going to be friends for two or three years yeah. until our fathers rotated out of the country yeah. and moved on, right? Um, it was like we're all got three years, man, of, you know. Make new guy better. shows up, you know, and, you know, it's like we're all on a clock, man. Yeah. And uh, we made the most of it. And what I really remember the most, though, and I enjoyed the most, is we would play football every day, especially in the wintertime. And it's cold in Germany, right? september october november december january february man it starts getting cold and rainy and snowy and muddy and we would go in the backyard we had this big fields behind our our, our uh, we lived in these apartments like right, these three four-story apartments and uh after school we'd go out there and, and i remember our fathers would get issued um cleats mm-hmm. Army. these cleats these rubber cleats that look like converse with cleats on the bottom right and, my, and i got these pt uniforms that, you know which was kind of cool, and our dads would, you know, give us our their cleats, you know, and, and uh, it was great for playing in the mud, right? So we had rubber cleats, and, and we'd go out there and, and just get muddy as shit, you know, playing football, and the whole all the kids from the neighborhood, and the girls would be out there playing, you know, and uh, we would play and play for hours into the darkness, you know, and then I remember, you know, the moms would would open up the windows and look out the apartment windows and start yelling. My mom always, Dale Holland, Dale Holland, you know, <laughs> that man, get your ass home. It's time for dinner. right? Like, oh, okay. Mom, five more minutes, mom, you know, and, and, uh, and, and we would just play and play and play, you know, and, and even in the summertime, you know, we would, uh, you know, sports was a big, big part of growing up, man. And, uh, you know, we did all the things that, uh, You know chasing girls dude you know man we you know dude we chase girls all the time you know i was always hanging out at some girls house you know and uh you know playing sports and you know the boys hanging out and just you know boys were boys and girls were girls man we just had a great time growing up um i remember playing army all the time growing up too you know that was the other thing that was cool is our fathers all got issued ta-50 right which is military gear helmets load-bearing equipment all the stuff they needed field gear right they all had got it issued because it was germany it was during the cold war our fathers were off through the field um you know on maneuvers and uh, of course they needed all the equipment but when they weren't using it it was stored at home and uh of course me and my friends we loved that right because we would wear all our dad's gear right our helmet, their helmets and low bearing gear you know and and uh We'd go out with freaking rubber band guns and stuff, you know, and, and uh, we'd play army, man. We, we had some oh, great yeah. wars, you know, around the neighborhood, you know, and it got pretty sophisticated. I remember we used to make uh, mortars uh, out of cans. Back then, the Coke cans were not uh, aluminum like they are today. They were like steel cans, right? They were really sturdy. And uh, what you do is you cut the bottoms out and then uh, you tape them all together. Right, so you make a tube, and then the last, the last one, uh, last can at the bottom. You don't cut the bottom out of that, but about an inch up, um, you just kind of put a little hole in it with, uh, uh, you know, whatever. Just punch a hole in it. And you fill that up with rubbing alcohol right and then what you do is you take a tennis ball you drop it down the top and then you light the bottom and you had a mortar this thing would fly three four five hundred meters man depending on how long the tube was right and so we would we would build mortars and stuff like that you know and and uh i just had a blast you know it just every day you know and and, uh that was my life growing up you know even uh we moved to georgia Fort Gordon, Georgia, and uh, we'd play in the woods. We'd build underground bunkers, you know, Um, you know, and then just did, you know, just did cool army stuff, man, you know, and, and, uh, you know, girls were part of it, you know, Um, you know, and then, you know, I remember the other thing was, you know, when I got into my teenage years, you know, girls became more important, you know, the hormones started kicking in and fighting was like, you know, that was just part of freaking growing up, man, you know, um you got bullied you fought back if you got bullied and you fight back you got beat up right yeah. and uh you know and and you don't go home and cry to mommy and daddy you know and i can remember so this is what i really appreciate about my dad you know um let's talk about bullying a little bit so um i was a runt man i was a little kid all right actually my mom and dad were both five foot five i believe um, so, I was, my parents were munchkins, man. And I don't know how I ended up almost six feet tall. You know, my dad weighed like, you know, when he was really wet, 160 pounds, you know, and I'm like at the heaviest, 226 pounds. So I often look at my mom and go, what does a milkman look like, mom? You know, because it's like a milkman <laughs> back then. <laughs>
1: right?
0: in, fact, in, in fact, in Germany, they didn't have, they used to bring these cases right they would deliver them to your doorstep with beer and they had this thing called Karl Mart mods Karl Mart. and uh no trouble uh enunciating right now but um that that was actually a mixture of coca-cola and beer now in germany kids could drink beer right growing up was, uh, i didn't really like beer growing up tastes like shit like sweet stuff so the Karl Marx was good because you had coca-cola in it right mm-hmm. so that would get delivered to our doorstep all the time you know um so you know, maybe it was maybe it was a beer delivery guy. I don't know what that looked like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: know, man. But uh, you
0: know, but no, I my, I look at my you know my pictures, man, and I definitely see the uh, you know the, the the family resemblances to some of my uh, my elders. But um, but you know, back then, man, it was different, man. You know, if you had a problem with another kid on the playground, they asked him, yes, it took care of it, man. You know, and oftentimes, almost always, you get you got in a fight when it was all over in the dust cell you shook hands and you were friends right and Mm -hmm. that happened all the time man it was all the time man and that's how it was you know because let's face it man the reality is this we're social creatures and we have a hierarchy right you're gonna have the dominant you're gonna have not so dominant you're gonna have the you know subordinate right it's just it's just like any other social um you know social groups you know whether it's chimpanzees or horses or or you know a wolf pack or a a lion pride whatever it is man it's the same thing right there's a hierarchy um and it's it has it's evolutionary why man it's because you know it has to do with propagating and perpetuating the species you know and so let the strongest breed we're no different that and regardless of what your religious beliefs are um it's you know you can't deny it man it's always been that way and so you know growing up you know, problems were solved, you know, with fish, man, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
0: and so... I remember there were times. Man, I got. And I was always getting bullied because I was a little runt, man. But I always fought back. I was a tough little son of a bitch. I didn't lose no fights, man. Um, I would. I would freaking. I was hell on wheels because both my mom and dad had really bad tempers. Yeah, my mom was like super aggressive. She was like the German, like really like the stereotypical yeah. German freaking woman, man. <laughs> oh my god, man. <laughs> and uh, you know it didn't take no shit. My dad was really the cooler and calmer of the two. Um, but if you lit his fuse, dude, he'd go off, right? Mm-hmm. Even if he was a little dude, he, got, he lost his shit. Um, and so and he was very protective of me and my sister and my family. And so, and so was my mom. So I, I was raised with that already, right? And um, I can remember, man, there were times where I remember one time I get in this fight with this kid behind my house on the playground. It was just you know whatever I can't remember what it was out about something he was always picking on me, right? He, he was the kid that I was over there playing with my other friend. He'd walk up behind me with his finger and then flick me on the ear, right, and then run away. Yeah, you know, or come on, hit me with like, a rocking back of the head, right? It was one of those things all yeah. the time, and and he kept doing it more and more. And it wasn't like I was I was getting annoyed, but I was also like afraid to fight, right? Um, didn't know what was going on. I was growing up, and so I remember one day got up and just freaking you know hauled off and knocked the shit out of this kid you know and and uh and of course he came back at me pretty hard and and i that's and i was like oh shit and i started running right and i ran a couple hundred yards man and uh, ran around the building and and i remember it was afternoon probably around five o'clock you know and uh We had these balconies on the apartments there were four four stories and we lived on the fourth floor my dad was on the balcony barbecuing and and i'm freaking hauling i can see him up there i'm like my daddy and the and the you can't get in the building unless somebody rings you Mm -hmm. in right you have to push a button that to let you in so I knew that, you know, there's going to be a delay at going through that door. So I had to get my dad, right? <laughs> dad, open the door, right? And he's looking, he's like, what the fuck? And he saw this kid chasing me. And I remember he looked at me, you know, yelled at me, he goes, I ain't opening this door. He said, you better turn around and fight. When well, like, you come up here, I'm going to beat your ass, right? And I'm like, shit. <laughs> so I turned around, you know, and got onto it with the kid and beat him up. And so I was good, right? So otherwise I would've got two ass weapons that day so but that was typical of my father man yeah. um and I remember one time you know, and then we started I getting gotten a lot of fights with one of my best friends, man all the time over girls man and all the time what i and I don't know what to deal with with this guy now that I look back, I think he was actually gay right everything about him when I think about it, I was like Michael was gay, man, because of the things he did and said and the way he acted, you know. Yeah. Um, sure. I didn't treat him any differently. He was my sure. friend, sure. my best friend. But now that I look back, I'm like, actually, he used to bake cakes all the time, right? Uh, you know, went to his house and he baking cakes. And then he taught me how to bake cakes. And I hate to say it, but it, I actually still bake cakes. I still make cakes. I'm I've, pretty good at it, I bet man. you I make be great cakes. Dude, I make some really good cakes. I just made <laughs> one for my daughter before I left, you know. And, uh, you know and so i showed her how to do it you know so it's like yeah. passing it on you know the family recipe you know from you know from, <laughs> from mama dale and so um but he and i were getting fights all the time man like like i got you can't see that on my finger right now but I, I punched him in the mouth one time in the swimming pool right we were swimming in the public pool we were fighting over a girl and i hit him so hard that his tooth went through my finger and about took off Part of my knuckle right and the blood's all in the swimming pool and shit, you know and he's running out screaming and hollering you know like god damn it you know and uh but we were fighting all the time and i remember one night getting a fight um it was dark, and we got in a fight under the streetlight. Probably, again, I, I don't remember what that fight was over. I don't know if it was over a girl. Probably a girl. There was one girl there named Phoebe, man. <laughs> we love Phoebe, <laughs> man. You know, she was like, oh, you know. And, uh, you know, dudes, man, testosterone, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. She probably didn't like either one of us, you know. But anyways, we're out there, and we get in a fight, and, and we're rolling around on the, on the asphalt. And then uh, my dad was coming out. He was going to go across the street to... My other, my, I had five brothers. They were friends of mine. They all five brothers, and their dad was pretty cool. You know, he played country and western. But this was an army concern. Yeah. My dad was friends with their dad. You know, and uh he's going to go over and have beers with the old man. And he sees me out there duking it out with this other kid on the street. Right. I mean, like I'm rolling around on the ground on top of this kid. You know. and yeah. And uh, my dad walks over and and he's looking like, what the hell? And he's dr- he's still drinking a beer. I remember he used to love drinking Coors beer. And uh, he's not gonna, he doesn't interfere. He's not yeah. gonna try to stop it. You know, I remember he looks down at me and, and he's drinking his beer and he's like, You better kick his ass, son. You don't kick his ass. Don't come home tonight, right? <laughs> and he's drinking his beer. You know, like, I'm like, Okay, dad, do, you sorry, do it, do it. Do it. <laughs> and my dad leaves and I'm still out there duking out with the kid, you know? And uh, that was just how it was, you know? And then we got done beating each other up, we got up shake each other's hand, yeah. you know, and <laughs> I bet he and I had at least 10 fights in the time that I knew him, uh, by serious fisticuff fights. But, yeah. uh, you know, but that's how it was, you know, and uh, that's how I grew up. And, uh, you know, you didn't run from a fight. If you did, you know, you, you got your ass kicked, you know, and, and you're going to get your ass kicked again and again and again until you stand up and, you know, and face down the threat and at least face him, you know, you might take a beating, but at least you stood up and tried. Mm-hmm. And usually when that happened. Almost always, you know, you got respect. Yeah. Um, I was I was playing basketball one time. So one of the things I like to do as a teenager is I would go out to you know the military uh, gyms, right, and and play basketball with the GIs out there, right. And uh, I just love playing basketball. I was actually really good at it. And uh, I like going out and playing with the, you know the guys, you know. And and uh, there were a couple other dudes that there was this one really buffed Asian dude, man, in my high school. I remember. And uh, for whatever reason, he just didn't like me. I don't know why, but he just didn't like me. And he's playing there at the gym at, the, at one day uh, with these guys, and he's on the other team, and I'm on this team. And we're the only teenagers playing with these these GIs you know, in their 20s. And uh, for whatever, I can't remember what happened, what caused this fight, but uh, I'm holding the basketball, and this guy's constantly blah, 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 talking shit, and finally everything just kind of stopped from holding the basketball, and he walks up to me and just punches me. <laughs> whoa and i'm like i'm still holding the basketball and all the gis are like whoa right and they're not trying to stop they're just like looking like what's going to happen now right and and i remember like uh, and i just just dropped the basketball my eye was watering on one side he hit me so hard i just dropped the basketball hauled off and crocked him again you know and freaking hit him pretty hard and uh and then we got into it and then the gis broke it up and then after that you know, I became friends. It yeah. was like your truth. It was like, okay, you're yeah. good, you know, yeah. you know, and so, but that's how you grew up and that's how I grew up, you know? And, uh, so my life growing up was, you know, you know, it was, it was centered on athleticism. We all played sports all the time. Um, you know, we were all very conservative because our military culture that we grew up with, um, you know, we, we were the guys, you know, we, Gender roles, you know, boys were boys and girls were girls, boys chased the girls, girls would run from boys, you know. yeah it was just that's how, you know, I grew up, man. That's what I'm so used to, you know. And then somewhere along the way, shit started changing. It's like, you know, now there's no more, there's no such things as girls and boys. They're they and these and z's and whatever hell they, you know, they come up with. And it's like have we lost our minds, man. And so, um, and that's part of the reason I wrote this book man because i want to i want to i want people and young men particularly um to look and go damn that's how it was Mm -hmm. and it was that culture it was it was that um you know it was those times that created the men of today you know and and comparatively speaking i hope to look at me and my peer group and those of us in my age group you know you know and go you know would i'd rather be a guy like that would i'd rather be a guy like this, some goofy guy and i and, and and i'll use um yeah um sorry so there yeah, I got, yeah, cut off. I got a phone coming um you know would i rather be a guy like you know you know i'll use zuckerberg right a, 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 you know dodge me yeah let me tell you something those guys are pussies yeah right they're wimps oh yeah, yeah they got a lot of money okay that's all they got is money all right that's all they got they are not men they're not even close to men all right they're geeks (laughs) all right and so a lot of people want to be like that because they got money let me tell you something I work around people with money big money most of my partners were billionaires okay I've coached millionaires all right performance coach and I can tell you just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you have a good life in fact your bank, your, your problems are proportional to your bank account, right? Yeah. Uh, the more money you make, the more issues yeah. you got.
1: More money, more um, problems.
0: And, yeah, and, and they have no life. They have no life, man. I've been, I've been with these guys. I watched them. You know, they have these big fancy yachts. They go out there for about two hours. And go, yeah. Okay, that was kind of cool. Now what are we going to do? Shit, I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's like boring. Yeah. You bought a boat and it sucks, right? Yeah, yeah. For two hours, right? And, oh, what, chicks? Oh, yeah, you can get a bunch of girls for your money, but I can get a bunch of girls, too, and I don't need money. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, win-win. Um, but anyways, you know, so I, I did – I'm saying all this because, you know – and maybe maybe I'm a dying breed, man. Maybe I'm a dinosaur. Maybe nobody wants to be like me. Sure. I mean, a lot of people don't, man. Right? When you when you look at what's going on today, you know, um, you know, people talk about toxic masculinity. Well, I'm that toxic guy, apparently. You know, and uh, and I'm I'm not what they want around, but uh, I can tell you, I'm the kind of guy they need around. Um, because in America and in the West, we might have a bunch of you know androgynous males. Now that might be the that might be the end thing, you know. We want these guys are defeminate, you know, and no threat to everybody and the women, blah, blah, blah. But I could tell you in the rest of the world, they're not buying into that. Their men are becoming men. They're becoming yeah. more manly. Yeah. They're starting to look at our culture in the past and go, man, that's what we need to be like. And they're, and they're finally getting to that level. Um, you know, you go to Afghanistan, Af- Africa, you know, the Middle East, um, Asia, Southeast Asia, man, you got 10-year-old boys running around AK-47 shooting people in the face and not even losing any sleep over it, man. Yeah. Um, you know? And so our enemies are getting stronger, and we're getting weaker. Yeah. And, and don't... And, and let me tell you something, man. Well, you know, we, we need, you know, computer geeks, electronics, you know, and we're you know, technologically we'll win the next war. We more superior. Uh, no, because you know what? Every battle comes down to the guy on the battlefield with a weapon. At the end of the day, it comes down to that guy. Okay. Your technology is not going to win every war because at the end of the day, you still got to take out that dude with a gun and a bad attitude. Yeah. And, uh, and so – and we don't have – we're starting to lose that, man. Um, we're starting to lose that. And we're losing even more because now we're going, well, we need to have women in in our special operations, you know, because it needs to be – you know, we need to be all-inclusive, man. Let me tell you something. Um, you're going to get a lot more people killed. Don't even get me going down that road right now. But anyways um, – so, ways that's kind of my my growing up, my childhood, right? It's kind of you know, it was a rough and tumble type thing. Um, I looked up my to this day, my favorite actor is Clint Eastwood, even though he's an actor. Um, in my mind, he just you know, um, you know, he really epitomized what I thought a real man was like, you know, yeah. and John Wayne, and that's like that's who I want to be like, you know. Yeah. And my dad, in a lot of ways, was like Clint Eastwood. It actually, reminded me of him a little bit. Um, so that takes me into the next part called the patriarchs, right? and the patriarchs are the men that um influenced me the most growing up. And it's important that we have that. I think you know, we look at a lot of families today and you know, there's no father in the household, right? And uh divorce rates are through the roof. Um you know, some families particularly minority families, what is it, like 70% don't have a father figure in the house. Um you know, and and I you know, and look, I've been divorced more than once. Um I'm actually ashamed to say how many times I've been married, but uh, you know my only my my excuse for that is, you know, I spent my entire life as a soldier, not just you know, a soldier you know uh, in the barracks. I'm talking about a soldier deployed, you know, in every in every conflict from Grenada in 1983 to the present conflicts in Yemen. Um, as a soldier, as a as a combat armed soldier, whether in special forces, whatever it was. Um, I was deployed a lot. When I worked for OGA, I spent nine and a half years, you know, almost nine months out of the year for nine and a half years gone. Uh, why? Because I'm trying to make money so I can put my kids to college, put a nice roof over my wife's head, you know, trying to take care of everybody, you know, and it was a huge expense, you know, there's a huge expense assigned to that. And, um, you know, I look back, it's, I've lost so much money. I've lost millions of dollars, man, millions and millions of dollars. I've lost everything, man. I've lost my children, you know, um, and have walked away with nothing more than once. Right. And I, and I look at it and go, well, you know, that's the price, I guess, I pay for the work that I do. And I, is anybody forcing me to do that? Absolutely not. It's a, it's a labor of love. And my mom once asked me, "She goes, son. She goes, why do you do this? She goes, let them do it. Why do you do this?" I go, mom, if I don't do it, who's going to do this? Who's doing this, right? How many guys are lining up, going, "I want to be a paratrooper, infantryman, a Green Beret, a Delta Force operator, paramilitary operative for OGA." Who's who signed up for that shit? Very few people, and those that do, a lot of they don't even have the medal to make it, you know, and so. And and now all we got to do is look around today. Hey, nobody wants a fight. Have, most of the weenies in, my, in America, they don't want to fight because they're scared. Why? Because they didn't grow up. They didn't grow up in the culture that I grew up, where it was rough and tumble. You know, you didn't cry to mommy because somebody bullied you. Mm-hmm. You know, and invoked anti-bullying laws. You freaking stood your ground. You know, my mom and dad, they, they didn't, you know, they didn't come to my aid. They're like, get your ass out there and fight, yeah. you know? If you don't fight, take your ass whooping, yeah. you know? That's um, how it is, right? And so, but today we want to coddle everybody, coddle our kids, and, and now we, you know, we've got a generation that, uh, you know, nothing solves, you know, violence doesn't solve it. They come with all kinds of excuses. Why not to be a man? Why not to be a warrior? Why not to be, you know, strong, you know? they come with all kinds of reasons why they need to be effeminate, you know, and androgynous and wear skinny jeans and not have muscle, you know, and have a, you know, the little man bun bullshit going on. Right. So, um, yeah, I said it, man bun bullshit. (laughs) 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 ponytails, right? Nah, I'm not gonna knock them for that, man. You know, but anyways, um, it's a different, you know, it's a totally different mindset and a different culture. Um, so, you know, I, I owe a lot to my parents, my father, uh, my German grandfather, my German uncles, and there's actually two Americans I'm going to talk about towards the end that I've had, had a huge effect on my life, right? Um, there's actually six men total in my life that I feel like have had a lot of influence on on me, my profession, um, you know, my ethics, and all those, and created the guy that I am today, right? Give me that... Give me that courage. gave me that the confidence to be you know better than better than I was yesterday. Yeah. Um. So my dad. D- a little bit D- about my dad.
1: D- Dale, Dale. I'm gonna go run. Oh, and, I'm gonna go run and piss real quick. I need you to monologue for thirty seconds. Tell them where. To, tell me where to buy American Badass.
0: <laughs> okay. Where do you buy American Badass? Well, actually, you can buy my book on uh, Amazon.com. It's um. That's the only place it's available. And so the reason I'm doing this this podcast with Tommy. Um, you know, is to talk about each one of my chapters in my book. And it kind of gives you, you know, basically the the gist of the stories that are in the book. You know, the book's written a little differently. Uh, it is written in my own words, and it goes a little bit more detail. But uh, um, people ask me all the time, you know, for an audio version of it because I don't have time to read. Honestly, the book can be read in about four hours. If you just sit down, you can read it in about four hours. It's, it's an easy read. I didn't make it too thick intentionally because... Um, I was told by my management team um, who's authored many books that uh, most people will only read about 30% of a book and then they'll put it down regardless how good it is, right? And uh, so I wanted to make a You know, not so lengthy that you could actually read the whole thing and get something out of it. In fact, if you look at some of the podcasts out there, um, look how long, look at the attention span most people have. Anyways, it's not very long. An hour podcast, most people will watch it for 15, 20 minutes, right? The book is no different. So I try to keep it condensed, uh, you know, so that you can get the most out of it. And as I said before, it's not about, the book's really not about me as much as it's about you. That's what I tell people all the time, right? There's a lot in it that you'll learn about yourself. Or at least make you think about things about yourself. Um, so going back to my father, um, as I said, you know he joined the army when he was seventeen. Um, he lived out in uh, near uh, Bishop, California. It's on the east side, uh, or yeah, east side of the, the Sierra Nevada Mountains, kind of like on the base of the mountains towards the desert. Mm-hmm. And he lived a very poor, austere life. You know, my my grandfather drove a snow plow in the winter, just making his meat. Um, they had they were very poor, and so my you know, my dad joined the Army when he was 17th, right out of 11th grade. And uh, off he went. He met my mom. My mom was, you know, she's German. She had a ninth grade education. Um, her only training was to be a seamstress, sewing. And uh, and it's what happened, right? And then mm-hmm. they, you know, I can remember, well, my, my mom tells me all the time that uh, at that time, her family didn't want her, her to marry my father because, you know, they called him an ummy. Right, American, right, and uh, that was like you know, you can't marry Americans, you know, and they're scum of the earth, you know, that type of thing. So, there's a lot of resentment and dislike for them, but uh, you know, just like racism and anything else, but you know, it worked out, and then they all ended up loving my father, and you know, and it, it was a great time growing up with my family over there, you know, um, really cool. And so, I learned a lot, you know, from my father. My father had a lot of integrity, um, he always. Looked out for me and my sister. He didn't beat us. I'm not gonna lie and say he never beat us. He beat the shit out of me a few times, but I had it coming.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, because you know I was a rambunctious, third, you know, kid, teenager at times, and and uh, I did some stupid stuff, and I did, I deserved it. And uh, I don't remember my sister ever getting spanked, but uh, <laughs> I sure do. And anyways, uh, but I'm okay with that, right? It didn't it didn't mess me up, yeah. and uh, didn't psychologically affect me. Uh, at least I don't know about and. Um, Maybe my my ex-wives will disagree, but yeah. uh, no, I've never, you know, I've never become a, which is kind of ironic, right? I've never become like a violent person. I've never struck my wives. Mm-hmm. I don't even spank my own kids. Um, and I'll put a spanking on the bad guys. You know, I was a fighter. I got, you mentioned earlier, I got, you know, six degree black belts, first degree black belts, a professional fighter, a professional soldier. And uh, I put the smack down on a lot of dudes, you know, and, uh, but I've never harmed my family. I've never you know i've never i'm like the family dog that's not allowed to bite the family right you can bite the tutors but you don't bite the family and that's kind of how i've always been right so kind of sheepdog i guess um but anyway so my dad taught me a lot especially about integrity about honesty he was a good man He was a really good man my dad was a guy that uh helped everybody he never you know never met a stranger in fact when he died um sadly you know eight nine years ago now um and time flies. He, uh, my mom told me a story that none of us knew. And the only reason she found out about it was a nurse told my mother what happened. My father, um, he had a client, a very old lady. And uh, finally, the, the family put this woman in a nursing home and because um, they wanted to take care of her. you know. And so they put her in a nursing home, and she had nobody. Nobody came to visit her, nothing. Nobody came was there for her. her family. Nobody was there for her. And my dad would go by there once a week and go visit her and just sit down with her and shoot the shit and bring her, you know, treats and stuff, whatever she wanted to you know. And, and, uh, he would became basically her son for many years. And, uh, he never told anybody ever. My mom didn't know. I didn't know. <clears throat> it was like a secret, not because he was hiding something. He just felt like he didn't need to tell anybody. It's mm-hmm. like, he's just doing this. It was selfless. Doing right? the right thing. Yeah. And, uh, and after he died is when we found out about it. I was like, wow. And I I gotta tell you, man, that <clears throat> that really had an impact on me. I was like, man, that is that is probably the coolest thing that I, I can say about my dad, you know? Yeah. And uh and it was after his death, it's the one thing that's really inspired me to be a better man. It's like, you know, I wanna be like that, my dad, you know, and I wanna do things and not tell people about it, you know, and yeah, help yeah, people, yeah. right? And so um so even in death my dad taught me a great lesson you know that i will carry with me for until the day i die um then there was my my grandfather on my mother's side same thing you know he was uh my, my grandfather and my uncle his son um uh, had nothing after the world war ii you know there was nothing left man of their wives you know and uh they you know i remember the stories they used to tell me about the, the americans coming through the village you know and uh You know, Americans would come through the homes, and they'd go into my grandfather's house, and uh, my he had a cellar with wine, and they'd go downstairs, and they'd take all the wine, and they'd pop the cork, and they made my father take a grandfather take a drink out, and make sure it wasn't poisoned, and then they would drink all the wine up. You know, you had the way there, you know, party in my grandfather's house, and my mom, and my you know my my grandma, and uh, you know, and and, uh, you know, there were a lot of stories, you know, during that era growing up that you know was really interesting, Um, and then. um, you know i learned a lot from my mom about you know being resilient and she was a tough she's a tough old lady man um even to this day she's a tough old lady and uh and so but those were my you know my dad was my my real role model because he was my father and i looked up to my father that i needed a man um, you know a male figure you know and so there was a lot of things that uh he could have done more for me but what he did for me was enough my grandfather did a lot for me he also mentored me in a lot of ways my grandfather and i would take long walks together i'll never forget man um he and i would go walking all the time down this one place called the donau river which was uh in a place called lawing in germany which is where my family lived and i would always stay with him through the summers and uh and he would always want to go. That was kind of a pastime with Germans is going for a walk, right? Spazieren is what they call it. Spazieren. And uh, especially on Sundays after dinner uh, or lunch, you know, we have a big lunch. We go for a walk as a family, right? And uh, and I remember going for walks all the time. It was just my grandfather, you know, and uh, running around and throwing rocks in the river, you know. And, uh, you know, I was just a little guy. And, you know, and my grandfather would keep the eye on me, you know, and uh, we had this bond. And I remember one day... We came to visit, and my father, my grandfather, my grandmother, and my mother had a big argument. We don't, I don't even know what the hell was they were arguing about, but it was a big fight. i never seen one like that before in my family. And my mom was like, that's it. We're not coming back. Blah, 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 And she grabbed me and my sister, and we got in the car, and uh, we drove away. We had about two-hour drive to just get back home. And, uh, and then we got the word the next day that my grandfather was gone. He had taken a bag of peanuts with him and his jacket and his hat, and... Uh, Nobody knew where he was. Or was. So my uncle, my father went looking for him and they found him down at the river where we always looked for walk hanging from a tree and killed himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's kind of, you know, it's one of those things, man, I was like, wow, you know, that has a profound impact. Um, Matt, moving forward and going forward in time, you know, when I was in the army and I was in Delta Force, um, you know, we had we had three psychologists in the unit all the time that were evaluating us. We had, you know annual mental checkups. And, you know, they wanted to make sure that the machines were always, you know, functioning properly, not malfunctioning. And I remember one day, this shrink told me that, uh, you know, after he did my evaluation, he goes, you know, you have, he goes, you have the, uh, based on my profile, um, you know, there's a, a, a possibility that I'm, I'm more likely to commit suicide than the average guy, right? Sure. And uh, based off my profile, and I remember thinking about my grandfather, and like, shit, my grandfather committed suicide. And I'm thinking damn, I'm not going down that road, you know? And uh, I'm going to defy those odds. And so, here I am, still Mm -hmm. alive, right? So, um, But anyways, um, and then I remember one time walking with my father, my grandfather, he came to visit me and, you know, our family in in the housing area, the Army military housing area. And a lot of times my grandfather and my grandmother would come and live with us for a couple weeks, you know? They were so far away, which is easy for them to say, for a few weeks. I remember we went for our, you know, afternoon walk with my grandfather, the uh um, housing area the american housing area and uh you know it's like anywhere else you could tell a german from an american right and uh and so i'm walking with my grandfather who looked like a german you know he wore the, you know he wore the brim you know and the trench kind of coat you know and walked with his hands full behind his back you know and uh and he's a big guy in fact i look just like him now um when i look at the pictures, like damn you know that's i look like my grandfather and uh, I remember one day we were walking and there were these American kids were playing um, around these cars and my father and I were kind of walking down this dirt road next to the cars through the neighborhood and the kids saw us and then one of them ran out and ran right up to me and just punched me in the face. Just punched me in the face for no <laughs> reason. Right? I mean, haul hauled up and nailed me, man. And I'm like, what? Because he thought I was a German. And so uh-huh. you could say it was, you know, he was being, uh, I don't know if it's racist because we're both white, but, you know, he's freaking, you know and punched me in the face because he thought I was a German, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so when it happened, I remember it took me like a second to realize, holy shit, this guy just freaking waylaid me, right? But I didn't go down, and, and I actually chased him and caught him really fast, actually. I caught him within probably 25 feet of where it happened, right? And, um, and I threw him up against the car, and I remember my grandfather was just standing on the road, still had his hands behind his back. Just kind of watching, you know, wasn't, wasn't overreacting, didn't do anything. Just kind of stood there and watched. And I freaking jammed this kid up against the car, man. I'm getting ready to freaking put him down, right? I mean, I had his ass to the dead of the rights, right? And he's like, ah! And, uh, and right before I punched him, I looked over at my grandfather. And I remember, I'll never forget, man, my grandfather looking at me like, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do, you know? And I looked at him and it's like, time slowed down. And I don't know why I didn't punch the kid, but I felt like I didn't need to. I felt like I already won. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh and I looked at my grandfather and I looked at this kid and I just let go and walked away, you know, and the kid just kinda of walked away like, whoa, you know, and I I walked my grandfather and I were holding hands, right? When we were walking. Because I was not that big, you know. And I loved my grandfather. And that was kind of normal, right? He yeah. loved me. I was, you know, and and so um probably that's why the american kids hit me because like look at their whole land you know yeah. and uh and so i just walked back over to my grandfather who didn't say a word i grabbed his hand and we just started walking and never talked about it yeah just like nothing ever happened it was yeah. the weirdest shit i never i never will forget that right yeah. <laughs> and, and i always wonder about the meaning behind all that but uh there was this, there was this uh serenity about the whole thing you know and uh but i felt like I didn't feel bad like you know I just got punched in the face and didn't do anything about it. I felt I actually felt like I won, right? Like you know I could have crushed this kid, but I didn't have to, Dad or Grandpa. You know, and uh, and I, it was almost like my Grandpa acknowledged that. It's like you know, good job, man. You yeah. didn't have to. You didn't have to hurt him. You won anyways, right? Yeah. And uh, so, anyways, that was my grandfather, right? And my uncle, um, who was his son, my mother's brother. You know, he was just a really cool guy, man. He, you know. Hard, hard worker. You know, it turns out he's very wealthy now, um, but he loved me like his son. He had two boys, two, you know, my cousins, and uh, I was like one of the boys, you know. We, we did all kinds of fun stuff together, swimming. In fact, he actually spent more time hanging out with me than his own sons, you know. He would teach me how to go diving and snorkeling, and we'd go together. And he'd buy me knives, snorkeling knives. I mean, for some reason, it was almost like he enjoyed his time with me more than his own kids, which was really kind of strange. Um, but his kids own the company now, <laughs> so they're very rich. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it! Yeah, fuck. Uh, but, anyways, you know. But by his example, I learned a lot, and uh, you know, I learned a lot about from him. Just looking at, I, I really idolized my uncle. You know, he's nice and fit and slim, you know, and very athletic, and his personality. I mean he was just so fun to listen to and he just he was the life of the party all the time but he was tough you know he wasn't an idiot um so those two really had a, a profound effect on me or all three of those my uncle um you know my grandfather and, and of course my father and uh and then there was you know i said there were two americans um that had an effect on me also and i really don't talk about it in the book i probably should have and i probably will in my next book but uh so the other, the other guys, there's actually three men. Okay, so the next one was uh, Gary O'Neill, and I'm going to give him a plug for his book. Uh, he wrote the book American Warrior. I met, so in 1983, I was in the 82nd Airborne Division Lerps platoon, long range reconnaissance I was a kid, man. I was 20, 21, 20, 21, somewhere around that time, right? And uh, this, was 19, uh, this was 1983. We went out to Camp McCall in the October... October maybe a little bit earlier it was cold I know that and we go out there and we're going to do zero training survival evasion resistance escape and so we're all sitting in the class we're all young guys man and uh, we're all excited you know we're gonna learn this cool special forces stuff and then part of the program was the hand-to-hand combat portion right and that's where Gary O'Neill came and he was going to teach that part and so I remember in the morning we walked outside really cold man you know like 6 a.m and there was you know, there's they call it the bear pit, right? It had sandbags all around and a big circle inside of sawdust. But the sawdust was real hard because it was you know frost on it, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, we would go out there and we stood in the big circle, you know. We had our green patrol caps on and, and our OG 107s, you know, and, and uh so Gary neil came out and he had dark hair and just a tough guy, and he starts doing this demonstration. He's basically talking to us about um you know, mind our mindset, you know, how it mindset is everything. And what I learned about Gary was he's, a, he's a really um, a storied, you know, heroic Vietnam veteran. Um, he was in the Lorps in Vietnam, um, survived, I believe, like 77 close ambushes. Um, you know, he's got some amazing stories. Um, he won I believe he won the Silver Star when he was 15. He actually went in the army and he used his cousin's uh, birth certificate to get in <laughs> and, earned his, and earned his first Silver Star was found out Uh, was kicked out and then uh his mom worked on the uh i think she's on the uh draft board and uh she basically uses real records to get him back in and so he came back in right so i mean this guy's a badass (laughs) right and uh there's it's a great book man and so i personally know gary and uh and so anyways at
1: that time tell tell gary yeah tell gary to do the podcast
0: yeah, if I get a hold of him. Uh, for some reason, I have been able to get a hold of him lately, but I will. I'll, sure. I'll, I'll try to get a hold of him. Sure, sure, um, sure. So, um, anyways, he starts doing his demonstration, right? Talking about mindset. So, he first thing he does, he takes a bicycle spoke. He pulls his skin out on his neck and jams his bicycle spoke <laughs> to his skin on his neck, right? And then he takes a water bucket that's full of water and it has a rope on it, on the handles. And he takes it he loops around the, the, the bicycle spoke. And now he's hands off. Right, this thing's dangling from his neck and he starts spinning around. I'm like, holy shit, right? And then he gets done, takes it all apart, and then he sticks these bicycle spokes to his arms, right? On the bottom of his arms. Right. And then he hooks again water buckets to the of those and he's lifting them up, spinning them around. I'm like, holy shit, right? And then and then the last thing he did was he laid down and he had a guy with a quarter ton Jeep drive over his belly right <laughs> we're like what and uh, and so you know we're learning this guy's really into all kinds of martial arts and hand-to-hand and mindset stuff you know and stuff that I'm kind of teaching now and uh, and I was like wow, we were all like really impressed right and so it was from that point on I realized at that moment that who is that was my military mentor that's who I wanted to model myself after I want to be that kind of guy man yeah. that kind of soldier right this guy was rambo you know times 10 man and uh and he really i really did in a lot of ways try to model my mindset to be like him i wanted to be a warrior like this guy you know i, I read his, his his story um you know in, in vietnam and everything he did you know he's Sioux indian um i don't you know anybody knows that but you know you know that's his heritage is Sue indian and uh you know I, when i tell him that you know i got some cherokee blood in me he goes, ah, those guys are a bunch of farmers <laughs> <I'm> like, <okay. laughs> strike that strike that, strike right, that never mind, cherokee never mind <laughs> but uh uh but anyways um you know so uh, you know i've followed him over the years and you know the guy's just you know i mean he just got some crazy stories even as a as a bouncer and you know and he's just an awesome dude man awesome guy in fact there's a you go on google or youtube you can see there's an interview with me and him on, on YouTube, Gary O'Neill. Um, and then uh, the other guy that uh, was one of my mentors, was a guy named Jim Smokey West. He was also a Green Beret, uh, not a Vietnam vet, but he'd been around for a while. And, again, this guy, um, this guy a, was, a, and he still is, a modern-day wider up with his hands, man. You just cannot beat this dude. This guy's a machine, man. Uh, a scary dude. And I can go on all day about his exploits and the fights that he's been in and it just, it's like, wow. I mean, he's had his nose cut off with beer bottles. He's been shot, stabbed, you know, um, he's just a train wreck, but this guy's like, just, he's like a machine. He's like a robot, man. He's like a cyborg, man. And anyways, uh, long story short, I went to him because my son at the time was four years old and he loved Ninja turtles. Right. And he goes, dad, I want to, you know, I want to be karate guy. And so I said, okay, you know, if you're going to start this, you have to finish it. You know what that means? You're like, no, I got to I mean you got to get a black belt. Right. You okay with that? Yeah. Dad, yeah, dad. Okay. And I had to look around and I, I took him to a school that, you know, at the YMCA, you know, and, and that was nothing more than a daycare. I wasn't happy. And I called a friend of mine. I said, Hey dude, I said, Bart, man, I said, uh, he told me about this other guy that has a martial arts school that's pretty badass who is that guy and he told me he goes that's ah, jim smoky west man here's his address he's training right now go over this place i literally grabbed my kid up out of the ymca in his karate uniform and i said come on this is bullshit. we're gonna go somewhere else and i took him over there and when i walked in i see all these little kids out on the floor right with these big wiffle ball bats and foam on and they're beating the shit out of each other right it's just it's just chaos man <laughs> and they're having a fun punching and kicking and stuff and I, I introduced myself to jim and he's like yeah man he tells my son hey you want to go play I was like yeah and he runs out there and they're just duking it out fighting you know fuck and yeah. the fuck out of each other and i go yeah that's what i'm talking about <laughs> you know get it on you yeah know? and uh and so that's how it started and then uh, my kid really liked it you know and it was organized but you know he he jim had a way of doing you know bringing out that warrior spirit these kids you know and jim's a four he's a green beret um you know, and, and I got to tell you, man, when I first when I first met Jim West, the guy was freaking scary, man. And I'm not I'm not easily scared by people. But when I met Jim, I'm like, holy shit, man, this guy is freaking crazy. Yeah, right? yeah. He's a good dude, but he will fuck you up. Yeah. And uh, I remember I remember it had such an impact on me that I went home that night when I went to sleep no shit because i heard all the stories already right no shit i had a dream he punched me in the face and grabbed my wife at the time and just started kissing her like what are you going to do about it <laughs> and i'm like nothing i'm like nothing like, Nothin happened you know? Yes. <laughs> Ow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, there's some there's some real life stories like that man this guy is just amazing right and so i said look and my son was happy he wanted to go there i thought about oh shit if i'm going to bring my kid here every day to train with him so why don't I come over here and train with him? Yeah. So my son and I both started training with Jim West. Um, in three years, by the time my kid was 70, he got his first degree black belt. Um, same with me, right? And so I ended up getting my sixth degree black belt through Jim. And and I was one of only two fighters that Jim had, amateur and professional. Uh, the other one was a girl named Judy. Who was pretty She was pretty badass. She was an Air Force captain, but... Uh, we were the only two. Jim was he, Jim was very strict about who trained with him and who fights for him. Um, he didn't have time to bullshit around, waste his time, you know. And for you to go, oh, I don't want to fight anymore. He wanted people with heart, and he would test you. He made sure you had the heart. Um uh, He not, he damn near knocked me out one time, and uh, I bounced back to my feet and said, "Okay, I'm ready to go again." He goes, "No, nah. you're not ready to go again." He goes, you, "You're hurt." He goes, "But." He goes. I respect your. I respect your enthusiasm. You know your heart, and that's when he knew. I had the heart to fight. Yeah. And I love fighting, man. I freaking fought all the time. I was doing. A, I actually did the first uh, ballytudo, anything goes, no, goes no holds barred fight in the USA uh, back in 1995, 96 uh, in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I turned pro as a boxer and kickboxer under him, and uh, I just, I just, I couldn't get enough, man. I really couldn't, and so. That was Jim, you know, and Jim is the kind of guy, you either like him or you don't. And uh, I used to tell everybody, you know what, I don't go to Jim for my morals or my ethics or anything else. I'm a grown man. I go to Jim because Jim knows how to fight, Mm -hmm. and I want to learn how to fight like him. I want my son to learn how to fight. My son's going to get his morals, his ethics from me, right? And not saying that Jim didn't have them. He did. Um, Jim was the kind of guy, he intimidated a lot of men, and when men are intimidated, you know, and they're scared of you, they talk shit behind your back, right? Because that's the only way they can fucking puff up. But nobody had the balls to get in his face. And the ones that did, you know, they would get their ass handed to. They come into his classroom and literally it was like a gunfight, at the OK Corral come in and challenge him, you know. My Kung Fu's better than your Kung yeah, Fu, you yeah, know. I wanna yeah. I wanna fight. You know? He'd yeah, you know yeah. like, okay you know uh. i I can tell you some amazing stories about jim i'll I'll save that for another podcast in fact we're gonna have jim on the podcast you gotta hear stories, man. please do um this guy's a a machine man and to this day he's still a machine please do what late 60s dale Um, please
1: get him to come on please
0: yeah I, I, i will have him on there man maybe yeah i will get him on there um remind me to do that so he was my other mentor right so um, I learned, he, you know, I learned how to fight through him. I learned about mindset through him. And uh, man, the guy is just phenomenal, man. He trained with uh, Jim Lewis, um, Bill Wallace. He trained with a lot of the uh, um, with a lot of the greats coming up, man.
1: Well, so and, I'm, uh, I'm writing. Down, I'm writing down his name so I remember to text you after this. First guy, yeah, it's
0: Jim Jim West, Smokey. He we goes by Smokey, but Jim West. Jim, um, he's on Facebook too. And, on the, fir- my Facebook and the first page.
1: guy was Gary. The other guy? Gary
0: O'Neill. You're Gary right. O'Neill, he wrote the book, uh, American Warrior. All
1: right.
0: Which is funny. He wrote the book American Warrior the same time I wrote American Badass. I didn't even know that, right? Really? And I'm like, well, that's funny because my mentor wrote a book and I wrote a book and, you know, hey, we're both Americans and he's a, you know, he's a warrior and I'm a badass. Yeah, right? yeah. So it was kind of cool, but uh, um, and then my, my sixth mentor, has actually been, he's actually recent. I say recent in the last couple of years. So I had a guy call me, um, I can say his name. I think his name is David Fabricius, and he was on my Facebook page and been on it for a while. I didn't know that. Really, didn't know anything about him. And uh, and one day he calls me and says, "Hey, I'd like to talk to you about your, you know, your performance coaching, you know, training." And uh, so we got talking. I told him what I do, what it's all about, you know. And and uh, he listened quietly, you know. And and uh, and then <clears throat> I went on to tell him at the end. I said, "You know." You know, I I did a kind of a comparison. I go, look, man, I go, and I do. I've coached, I've coached everybody. I've coached, you name it: photographers, policemen, millionaires, um, people with no money. You know, all walks, teachers, all walks of life. And I've coached a lot of different people, different professions. Right, men, women, young and old. And I was telling that, and I, I was telling about, you know, even very rich people. I said, man, you know, I have one guy flies me literally around the world um you know to come and coach him because you know over something like you know he got the wrong goddamn boat lift he ordered a boat lift for two thousand bucks and got the wrong one and he feels like he got chewed out of it it just it didn't he just couldn't cope with that i'm like really these are rich people problems right yeah. and so yeah. um and he would fly me around the world to come and say hey, it's okay yeah it's okay yeah. you know, we'll get you another one right so, go, yeah. um oh my god um and so we were laughing right and uh and I get done with him. And he's like, he's commencing to tell me that at one point he was one of the, in the top 1% income earners in the world. I, oh shit. You know? And, and he, then I, then I learned he's like an international coach that coached, you know, fortune, you know, two hundred and fifty companies around the world. Um, you know, he does last stuff. He's lived in over 140 countries. You know, he's he, you know, he hung out with the Dalai Lama, you know, he was hunting with the Zulus on the, you know, wherever, man. I mean, guy's been everywhere, right. done everything. And, uh, and he's very well-spoken. Um, he came to the United States from South Africa. He was a, a Green Beret, a special forces guy in South Africa. He came to the U.S. on a special, what do you call it, a special talent and uh, knowledge visa, right? He just Because the guy was just amazing, right? He came over to the U.S. and uh, actually lived on the street, right? <laughs> he actually was homeless. And then uh, one day broke the code and uh, did very well became very... Uh, very famous, very wealthy, I guess, and um, he's been doing a lot of, a lot of coaching. So I'm like, well, what are you, co- what are you calling me for, right? And he was like, well, he goes, any coach worth his salt is always going to try to learn more, right? And you are going to reach out to other coaches to learn, right? Because you can always better yourself. I thought like, well, that's pretty respectable. You're right, and uh, I appreciate you, you know, considering me, and uh, so that led to me coaching him, um, and then that led to. Um, him inviting me to seminars with him and also providing coachings and trainings and things like that. And uh, what I find really cool is he always refers to me as coach in front of everybody. My man, you know, I'm looking up Fuck this yeah. guy. And he's calling me coach, you Fuck know, yeah. and uh, he's, you know, he's he's done really good things for me. And uh, he's been very gracious. And what uh, but, but the reason he's one of my mentors is because he's so knowledgeable on marketing um on business on investing um, on the psyche of it all and uh you know just his style and his charisma and, and his presentation and, and how he performs man i mean he looks like a tv evangelist to some degree mm-hmm. but he's, he's in his 60s but man he's a ladies man i mean he's james bond you know and so um and i'm like wow this guy's oh, pretty damn yeah. amazing know you know we, we we have our you know He's got his, I got mine. We're sure. we are both unique in our way, you know. But uh, I looked at him, and go okay. I can I can definitely learn something from this guy, you know. And and we become very good friends. And uh, I love the guy, man. He's great. His name's David Fabricius. Um, you might want to look him up. He's you know highly recommend him to you as well. But uh, so and I looked at him one day. Actually, a year ago, um, we did a, a seminar with us a speak engagement with about seven thousand attendees in Las Vegas. And, uh, when it was all over, I looked at him, I said, man, you know, I had five mentors in my life and, uh, now I got six, you know, and you're one of them. You've you've taught me something about another dimension that I really didn't know. Um, and wasn't really quite aware of until you, I heard you speak and I saw you do it. It's like, I learned something, man. That's fucking awesome. You know? And so, um... So I, I consider him one of, you know, and, and I tell you, man, the to be one of, you know, to be one of my mentors, man, you really gotta be a stellar individual, man. You know. Um I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm not saying anybody was perfect, you know. We're all man, we all have vices, man. We're you know, we're you know, we're born with sin. Um, so we're not perfect, but um, we all try hard to be good, you know, and, and that's what American Badass is all about. It's about being good. You know, I'm far from perfect. Ask my ex-wives. Um, not that I really care what they think, but, uh, you know, they'll tell you a lot of lies too. But, uh, um, but I'll tell you one thing I am, I'm a great father. I am a great father, man. I have never forsaken my kids. Never will. They're all that, they're all that matters as far as I'm concerned. Um, women come and go, but kids, nah, they're constant, man. And so it's important that I treat them right, give them the right example. Um, you know, and I do try to demonstrate the right... the right I always demonstrate the right example. You know, my wives will tell them about the wrong examples because that's what makes them feel good and powerful over me, Yeah. you know, but uh, to turn the kids against you. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> my, my kids aren't buying it. I know they're not, um, yeah. especially my oldest ones didn't buy it. Um, <clears throat> and My youngest ones, they'll figure it out too, but uh, I still have a good relationship with them. But at the end of the day, you know, as a man, it's, it's important that, you know, we can... know go lay our heads down at night and feel good about who we are that we've done the right thing you know we're not perfect we're gonna make a lot of mistakes as long as we recognize that know that and uh we try not to do that again um or try to rectify that that's okay you know um but nobody's ever perfect i'm far from that and uh you know, my wife always always tells me, she goes, Man, you're like ninety-five percent. My wife loves me, man. She's like, You're ninety-five percent perfect, you know. She goes, it's just five percent of you, man. It's just five percent of you, she goes I can accept that, you know, because it's that five percent of imperfection that actually makes you perfect, you know, because uh, because of that, right? Yeah. And uh and so can you imagine someone that was perfect? You'd be like skeptical all the time, like oh, come you on, couldn't trust you know?
1: them. couldn't trust them. You'd right? be like
0: right. <clears throat> That's right. Yeah. That's right and so and my wife knows that she knows who i am and who i'm not um you know and i'm not perfect i'm not gonna pretend to be perfect um it is what it is you know and i always tell my women it's like you know here i am this is what you get i'm very straight up Mm -hmm. um i reveal everything i don't care um you judge me if you want if you don't like it that's fine um but anyways you know it's all about being true being, being yourself and uh you know that's uh that's what this is all about. That's what my stories are all about. <clears throat> Hopefully, uh, you know, there's something that, uh, some takeaways from people there that think about, you know, and, uh, particularly guys that maybe never had a father figure, um, or maybe had a father figure that it was just bad, you know? And, uh, you know, at least now, you know, no matter what you do in life, and, and I'll, I'll end it with this, you know, at the end of the day, man, even the Bible says that. And by the way, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, trust me i'm not a bible thumper sure. not even close man um but you know i studied ready for this i actually studied theology right so um you know i have a background in 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 religion and, and you know in, in christian christ and things like that but you know even the bible says you know at some point you know you have to put away your childish ways right yeah. and uh, usually it's around you know in your teenage years you're expected you know put your childish ways away become an adult right and uh and so I look at, you know, the world today and I and I look at people that always blame their childhood experiences, you know, what their mom and dad did to them, you know, or whatever, right? Somebody did to me when I was little, that's why I'm, you know, I'm a train wreck today. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not a psychologist either, but I would argue that, you know, at some point you got to take responsibility for who you are today and your actions, right, moving forward. And you can't always... Turn around and point backwards. It was that guy's fault. Well, I'm a dickhead today, right? Because yeah. um, you go through your whole life that way, and and really, the you know the the irony of it is, by the time you're 35 years old, um, you already have 95 percent of your programming in you. So if you if you're up to the age of 35, you know you're living in the past. Everything you know, you do, your behavior is all centered on all past behavior all past knowledge all past experiences you know all those things have been imparted on you and maybe they're not necessarily good um you know there's an extremely high likely you know probability that today you're going to act based on your past tomorrow you're going to act on based on your past right and you can't expect your future to change if you're still acting from the past right and so you've got to take it every day as a new day, and basically forget the past, okay, your past experiences, and look at the today and tomorrow from a different perspective, a different lens. Go, you know what? Because here is the other thing, right? Fifty to seventy percent of the information that you have in your head is wrong. Yeah, it's false. Yeah. half of what you know is is actually wrong. Yeah, right. Uh, and so you have to challenge that par- all the paradigms. You have to ask yourself, wait a minute, why do I feel like this? Yeah, right. Why? Why do I think that? Yeah, that my mom said it was wrong. My dad said it was wrong. My yeah. friends said it was wrong. Or that's so why I heard on the news. And you realize one day, shit, that was all bullshit. Yeah, right. And so you get to this point in life, you're like, dad damn! If I'd have known that, I wouldn't have done this. I would have done it this way, right? Yeah. I'd be far better off. So, really, every day should be um, a new beginning. Where you, you have a new perspective, you look at things differently, right? Um, analyze it before you move forward. And if you can do that starting today, tomorrow will be better. Yeah. And, you know, life will continue to improve, and you'll see more success. Um, you and I had a conversation earlier. Uh, I won't go into the details, but you know, you told me were you know you applied something that I had told you to think mm-hmm. about. You know, I basically told you to think about mm-hmm. um, where you want to be. You know, financially, professionally, personally think about where you want to be in the here and now like it's actually real don't think about how you want to get there just think about that you're there yeah and it'll become so and you've told me that you have reached that you've reached that that uh that goal in life um that dream actually it's it's just one of your dreams but i think because i know there's more coming for you right and uh but you hit that benchmark you went holy shit!" it actually happened it worked right and so um because you change your way of thinking when i talked to you about it mm-hmm. right otherwise you probably would have been thinking about the past yeah you're thinking about how do i make it work how yeah. do I make it work you know i can't make it work you know we got you out of that mindset where you got yourself out of mindset based on what i told you and uh and when you change that you switch you challenge that paradigm and switch that way of thinking guess what Whole new you
1: created u- this whole new universe. reality right yeah a whole new yeah, yeah so, whole new reality
0: yeah so that you know with that said um the, So we're up uh, past our time now, but uh, that takes us into the next chapter, which I'll actually talk about. Um, I'm going to talk about things like autogenic conditioning. Um, I'm going to talk about metaphysical, uh, the metaphysical world and how frequency affects every aspect of our life. Um, You know, that uh, success is based on frequency, on energy, literally on energy. It has nothing to do with philosophy. It Has nothing to do with. yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. It Ain't got shit to do with that. Yeah. Right. Because it had. Because if that's what it, what it was all about, everybody that had a New Year's resolution would have met that New Year's resolution. Right. Yeah. How many people actually fall through under New Year's resolution? Very few people. Usually within two weeks. Like I oh, fuck that. Yeah. You know, and, and it's gone. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, they, they 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 felt they they relied on a philosophy, a, a flawed philosophy and way of thinking. And, uh, and that's where it fell short. There's, there's another way to do this that will guarantee success if, if they believe it. Right. Fuck and yeah. that's what they, you have to believe it. Right. Yeah. So we'll talk about that next time in the, in the next chapter. Hell yeah. So
1: Hell yeah. And, uh, I'll send <sighs> you a, I'll send you a text about those. Um, I'm going to stop recording, but don't go anywhere, Dale. For everybody listening, American Badass will be in the description, sticking to the top comment. And, uh, Part th- chapter three or part volume three, whatever the fuck you want to call it, will be next week. And uh, again, everybody, rumble, bit shoot because uh, the big tech communists are coming down. So one second, let me stop.